Hey guys, it's Jill. Jen and I wanted to give you a heads up about the content on today's episode. It may be triggering for more sensitive audiences. Refer to the show notes for more specifics. And take care while you listen. On this episode of Common Mystics, we examine the life and crimes of Patty Cannon, notorious ringleader of a brutal gang of thieves, human traffickers, and murderers that operated in the early 1800s. I'm Jennifer James. I'm Jill Stanley. We're psychics. We're sisters. We are Common Mystics. We find extraordinary stories in ordinary places, and today's story takes us to Sussex County, Delaware. This story hit me hard, Jennifer. It hit me hard. I know. Well, it's a heavy story. Let's just get right into it. Let's remind our listeners where we were, what we were doing. Right. This story comes at a time when we were traveling around the Delmarva Peninsula. What is that? That peninsula that includes parts of Delaware, Maryland, as well as Virginia. And we were exploring that peninsula on the day we found the story. Okay, real quick. Our intentions. Let's remind people what they are. We ask the spirits to lead us to a verifiable story previously unknown to us that allows us to give voice to the voiceless. That's right. And so as we are traveling around Delaware, Maryland, and parts of Virginia, Virginia, we legit are feeling uncomfortable driving around Delaware, specifically angered by like legit subdivisions for absolutely no reason. They were just like, why are you here? You're pissing me off that we were angry at the subdivisions. It's true. And logically, it it doesn't make sense. But we were both like it's in the notes that we were angry that there were subdivisions everywhere. And I remember thinking, why is this here? Why is this here? Yeah. I was like, another one? Really? Exactly. We're just doing this? Another one? Okay. So we were getting that feeling. But also, we were really concerned and kind of disjointed about the feeling of Delaware as a whole when we were driving through that Do you want to tell people why? Well, one of the things that kept coming up was the Underground Railroad. We kept running into references to the Underground Railroad. And then we started asking, was Delaware a slave state or a free state? And I remember asking in my head, and the answer wasn't clear. And and you and I were having that conversation. And we're like, this energy feels so confusing. It was disjointed. It felt like two sides to a coin. It's like... Was Delaware a slave state? Yes. Was Delaware a free state? Yes. Yes. Like it was like I was getting yes in both. And I was like, what are you saying to me, spirit? It was not lining up. So I was very confused about what side of the conflict Delaware was on during the Civil War. It was very unclear to me. Absolutely. And then we stopped in this small town called Smyrna, Delaware. Now, stop. I just have to tell you, please. So as we're driving around Delaware, I'm literally talking smack to the state. I was like, all you are are a bunch of subdivisions. You don't got nothing here. There ain't nothing historical spooky here. And I'm yelling at the state. And then we drive past this sign for this rest stop, which is Smyrna. And I was like, oh, that seems significant. And Jennifer's like, well, let's get off at the next town. Seems to be Smyrna. And we get off haunted AF. We will return to that. But just I want you to know, Delaware, I am sorry. And I was wrong. I was wrong, Delaware. So while we were in that town of Smyrna, Jill, you were drawn to an old African-American cemetery. And this was weird because it was unmarked and there were no headstones. And you just led us there with your spideys when we were walking around this town. Yeah, I'm a cemetery hound. But the weird thing <laughs> the weird thing about it is that we were at a cemetery, a large currently used cemetery that had some historical names in it that were popping out at us, such as the name Fairy kept coming up. I kept seeing Fairy Fairies. Mm-hmm. But then we were I was like I have to go in this direction. I was being pulled in a different direction. And then I like crossed this busy street and there was this historic sign that said Old Asbury Ashbury Church ass, Cemetery. Asbury. You're an ass. <laughs> Old You're Asbury. An ass-berry. <laughs> You're an Asbury. <laughs> 
is that old ass buried church <laughs> cemetery, but it was just a sign and then like a field. Yes. It was nothing else. And across the street further down, there was another historic small cemetery. But as I was standing in this field, it felt like a metaphor. It felt like the people were missing. Mm -hmm. That's what it felt like to me. Yes. What were you feeling? I was getting the feeling of missing children and kidnapping. Especially during Mm. the research, I kept feeling kidnapping, kidnapping. That's never good. No, that's never good. So tell me a little bit about the history of Delaware as a whole, because I'm still not clear what side they were on in the Civil War. So please tell me about Delaware. I'm excited. I can't handle it. Okay. Some of this is going to be review from episode 73 when we talked about Pennsylvania in the context of the Witch of Ridley Creek. Remember that, Jill? I'm still on the witch's side, like for real. (laughs) Okay. Tell me everything. So Delaware and Pennsylvania, their early histories are combined. In 1681, when King Charles II granted part of his American land holdings to William Penn to pay off some debt, that land included not only what became Pennsylvania, but also the area that was Delaware. So it was all together in one big piece originally. But the land that is known as Delaware today was actually claimed by a man named Lord Baltimore. So there is a little bit of a conflict there. Now, Penn's Quaker government in Pennsylvania wasn't viewed favorably by the people who had been living in the Delaware part. These were colonists like the Dutch, Swedish, and English settlers who had been there much earlier. Yeah, I remember the whole conflict, like when was Dutch, when yeah, was yeah, Swedes, yeah. when was Dutch, then there was English, then there was Swedes, a whole thing. I remember that. Continue. Right. But my point is that they were here before Penn inherited all this. They didn't want anything to do with Penn. They didn't want anything to do with Pennsylvania. And pretty much immediately, they started petitioning to be like cut off and have their own settlement. And did that happen? It did. It took 23 years, but finally in 1704, they did split off and became the new colony of Delaware. Love. Congratulations. Happy birthday, Delaware. (laughs) Now, remember how I told you that Lord Baltimore actually claimed that part of Delaware? Lord Baltimore sounds a little Lord Baltimore-y. It does. Yeah, different guy. That's a different guy. Uh, Different different guy. Different guy. Yeah. Okay. You got it? Okay. So Lord Baltimore's descendants and William Penn's descendants continued to fight over this dispute about where Pennsylvania ended and where Delaware began for the better part of 100 years. Oh, my. Mm Mm-hmm. So the court appointed surveyors to start looking at this area. And in 1751, a line was surveyed that went from the Atlantic coast to the Chesapeake Bay. And the line that was drawn at that time would be used 12 years later by two surveyors whom you might recognize. Their names were Charles Mason and Jeremiah Dixon. Okay, stop. So our international friends. You just have to know, growing up in school, Americans learned about the Mason-Dixon line as the point in which the Union stopped and the Southern states began. So that's what Jennifer's referring to. The two surveyors, Charles Mason and Jeremiah Dixon, were the names of that line. Right. The line that they would draw would be called the Mason-Dixon line. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the Mason-Dixon line was the boundary that historically separated the southern slave states from the northern free states in America. And basically, it's almost the entirety of the southern boundary of Pennsylvania. Correct. Okay, gotcha. Yes, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's exactly right. And people still to this day refer to the Mason-Dixon line figuratively to separate slave states from free states. I never knew how it got his name, so thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> you are very welcome. Well, thank Charles Mason and Jeremiah Dixon. <laughs> Or not. So Pennsylvania is north of the Mason-Dixon line, very clearly. And Pennsylvania being Quaker, abolitionist-minded, they were a free state. Maryland, located south of the line, was a slave state. But it wasn't Mm -mm. so clear for Delaware because slavery wasn't agreed upon in the colony of Delaware. And one of the reasons is because it had been part of Pennsylvania. So it still had some of those abolitionist feelings kind of bled into some of the 
settlers there. Mm. Because of the Quaker influence and the Pennsylvanian ideas that had bled into Delaware, many slave owners in Delaware would end up freeing their slaves. And according to Wikipedia, 50% of Delaware's black population was free by the year 1810. And more than 90% would be free by 1860. That's really crazy progressive for a state south of the Mason-Dixon line. Technically, it's not south of the Mason-Dixon line. If you look at the map, it's east of the Mason-Dixon because the Mason-Dixon goes down. This is such a sneaky little state. It's such a (laughs) sneaky little state. It's full of surprises, I'm telling you. But as a psychic, yes, it it makes so much sense as a psychic, like why we were getting that dichotomy, that two different energies. And it's like, wait, what? Right, right. So to give you a little bit more information about that, Delaware chose not to secede from the Union. And most of the Delaware citizens who fought in the Civil War served on the North side, so on the Union side. But... It was a slave state because it still had slavery. It was the only slave state that the Confederacy could not recruit a full regiment. But what those people did was they jumped ship and went to Maryland and Virginia if people in Delaware wanted to serve for the Confederacy. Okay, stop. I need you to put your mittens over your ears because I'm going to talk to the people and I don't want you to cry. Jill. Stop it. Don't you listen. Okay, you guys, that's why Abraham Lincoln was a genius and why it has people talking about his genius of the Immacula- the Immaculation Proclamation. How do you say it? Emancipation Proclamation. The Emancipation Proclamation proclamation because what Lincoln did was saying all the rebellious states that had slaves, those slaves are free, but those states weren't a part of the union anymore. But Delaware still was. So Delaware got to keep its slaves. So he didn't really abolish slavery. He was just saying, hey, you rebellious states, you guys can't have slaves and flex. That's why he was a political genius and a mastermind. Are you okay if I cut that out? Or are you are you adamant that it needs to stay on? I think it's a beautiful and a good demonstration of what the emancipation, emancipation, I can't say it. Emancipation proclamation. Don't you think that's beautiful? I do think it's beautiful, but I also know that Abraham Lincoln is criticized for what you're just saying is beautiful. Criticized because he didn't really free any slaves. That's politics, yo. That's politics. Okay. Okay. Anyway, I love it. You can cut it all out, but I love it. And okay. I'm only going to let you cut it out because I can't say the Emancipation Proclamation. I can't you say can't. it. You can't. Not not one I time, right? I can't say it. No. Not one time. Not one time. Not once. Mm-mm. Emancipation Proclamation. No. Emancipation Proclamation. Ah! Okay, continue. Okay. <laughs> All right. The bottom line is there were a lot of free black people living in Delaware. And enjoying their freedom and just having their own farms and living life. That must have been amazing. Well, the downside was that having a large population of free African Americans meant that people who wanted to exploit them by capturing them and selling them south would prey on this population. So they became a target. You're basically saying they were shooting fish in a barrel or stealing fish from a barrel. Stealing fish from a barrel. How are they doing that? How are they able to get away with that? Okay, so there is this thing that I had never heard of, and honestly, it blew my mind. Tell me. It was called the Reverse Underground Railroad. Hold your face right now. I've heard of the Underground Railroad, but for our international... Why don't you... No, 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 you, you. I like when you say it, but I just want to say, I've heard of it. I love it. It's a whole thing. Harriet Tubman, love everything. What is the Underground Railroad and how did they pervert it to make it reverse. Tell me what you mean. It is a perversion. You're absolutely right. For those of you who might not know, the Underground Railroad was a systematic effort to help enslaved people from the southern states escape to Canada or Mexico so that they could be free from slavery. And they were routes that were traveled at night and lodgings were in secret. That's right. It was an organized effort to help these people get to freedom. Absolutely. And so the reverse Underground Railroad was, again, a systematic effort to steal, kidnap, 
free black people and transport them to the slave states where they could be sold into slavery. And there was a lot of financial gain to be made by doing this. Uh, yeah. That's a gut punch. It is. As I try to use empathy and intuition to channel what that may feel like, and I, I really, there is no way I can ever possibly grasp that, but I would feel even if I were free for a generation that I still had the ability to be captured and sold into bondage. I know. I I can't imagine living that way with the constant threat of being stolen or that my loved ones, my children, my grandchildren could be stolen, that people are literally preying upon our, our community. Yeah. And this reverse underground railroad phenomenon was in effect between 1780 and 1865 and spanned a total of 85 years. So this is generations passed down from generations, the fear that would probably be enlisted in these these people's minds and hearts and lives. So how would they do it? How would like one day Fred's on his farm with his family and the next day he's gone? How how does that look? Okay, so the kidnappers employed three basic methods of kidnapping. Got it. One was just physical abduction. They would physically abduct black people like on the street or take them out of their homes. Wow, that's some ballsy balls. That is like the biggest, nastiest donkey balls ever. Another way would be to kidnap people through trickery. Most of the time, it was phony offers for employment opportunities. Oh, my God. That hurts my heart. I know. So they use like false legal documents or disguises meant to trick them to get into a place like into a building or into a boat so that they could be abducted. You know, honestly, they these people are so much better than me because I would be like a job. And they were like, I got a candy. (laughs) And I'd be like, oh, for sure. (laughs) And then then the third way was just to legally apprehend those people who had managed to escape from slavery. Right. So that Mm. would be the legal way. It would be legal to abduct or kidnap a person who had escaped from slavery. Okay, why is that? Because I feel like that's like we're splitting hairs there. If someone made it across into a free state, then they're free. They made the goal. That was because of the Fugitive Slave Act that was originally passed in 1793, which allowed for the capture and return of runaway enslaved people within the territory of the United States. Okay, but slavery was happening from like the birth of this nation. So what happened in 1793 that made it essential to create this like fugitive slave law? Jill, it was a perfect storm, to be quite honest, because you have the Fugitive Slave Act in 1793, but you also have the invention of the cotton gin. And the invention of the cotton gin made it so much more quick and efficient to process cotton. And that resulted in a cotton boom, specifically in the southern states and on the huge plantations that were developing. And because of this boom, slave labor was needed to maximize profits. And this increased the cash value of enslaved people to work these farms. They became a cash commodity. Exactly. Yes, they did. That's uncomfortable. There's another thing that happened a few years later. In 1808, the United States Congress said that no more enslaved people could be imported into the country. So now you're not getting any new Africans from the continent of Africa. Uh huh. So because of that, the only kind of slave sales could happen internally, domestically from between states. Oh, my gosh. I would not even have thought that that is like a consequence of being like, I'm going to do the world a solid and I'm not importing slaves anymore. And then just made the lives of the people that had been enslaved that much worse and that much more precarious. That is called an unintended consequence of a well-meaning legislation. I still stand by it, but <laughs> like, don't import people to be enslaved. Right. I still That's stand good. by that. That's, That's great. Good choice. That's good. But maybe not have other slaves too. 
So therefore, the threat of kidnapping grew with the increased demand for this labor in the South to work on the cotton plantations, along with a high price sought for enslaved workers and the inability to import enslaved people from outside the country and the legal practice of, quote, catching runaways to turn them in for rewards. Okay, so that is what we're dealing with in Delaware in the early 1800s. Holy hell. Tell me, how does this have to do? with Patty Cannon. Who is she? What's she about? Patty Cannon was a criminal gang leader who operated in the Delaware and Maryland area in the early 1800s. Okay, I can respect that. What was her, what was she dealing in? Was she like gambling, prostitutes? Tell me everything. Well, basically, she specialized in human trafficking and kidnapping African-American people to sell into slavery. Patty, that's not the way. No, that's not the way. That's not the way? That's not the way. I was excited because like a woman business owner, a woman leader, and now she just really disappointed me. No, no, this is not a model for anyone. Patty Cannon should not be a role model for anyone out there. Tell me about who she was in her early life and like how she became this gang leader. Nobody knows the exact date of her birth. See, that's so woman-like. It's like, you don't need to know my age. That's true. You don't need to know. That's true. She was born sometime between 1759 and 1769. Mm -hmm. We know that her family was Irish. And as a young woman, she lived in Canada and emigrated to the United States with her mother and her sisters. Okay. Now, the newspapers reported that in her youth, she had a quote unquote fine appearance, but was also muscular and strong. One article, Jennifer, referenced her as an Amazonian. And I I was like, Patty, I wish you weren't evil. <laughs> like, I could have totally been like your soul sister. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? Yeah, except for that trafficking of people. (laughs) According to an article in the Monitor Press out of Wellington, Kansas in 1887, and this is a quote, Patty had a coarse style of beauty with brilliant black eyes, hair as black as the raven's wing and cheeks like red roses in June, but with harsh and masculine voice and unfeminine manner, she played the role of a princess, thinking no doubt that by this means she would bring to her feet some gallant knight whose great wealth might minister to her consuming desire to dress extravagantly and lead a life of ease and luxury. Time out. Never in my entire life was I like, oh, look at those beautiful, big black eyes. What are you saying? (laughs) Like, that is like, hello, red flag. That's true. Like, oh, look at that shark, beautiful black eyes just winking at me. It's like, no, that's not okay. But more than her appearance, what this quote is telling us is that from an early age, she wanted money. She wanted wealth. She wanted to dress extravagantly and live a life of ease. It goes one step further to say she was aware that she could manipulate people. Although she was kind of husky and kind of, um, I want to <laughs> stop relating. Stop relating. <laughs> the harsh and the unfeminine manner. Yeah. Like she was kind of like, but she was gruff. still able. Yeah, kind of gruff. She was kind of husky. She was kind of unruly, but she was still able to manipulate things from men is what this is saying to me. Well, she wasn't able to land herself a rich husband. Mm. When she was about 16, she married a common farmer named Jesse Cannon, and they settled near what is now Reliance, which is located right on the border of Delaware and Maryland. Now, the article I was reading from, from the Monitor Press from 1887, Mm -hmm. it suggests that Patty was really unhappy with this low marriage, and she schemed to acquire wealth in nefarious ways. And oh God. settling here on the border of Delaware and Maryland was actually part of that plan because they settled on the border of three different counties in two different states. 
They were right at Caroline County and Dorchester County in Maryland and Sussex County in Delaware, which meant that it would be easy to cross boundaries and avoid apprehension by authorities in any one municipality. When I hear these words and I think about it and I identify like as the woman in that relationship, if I did something that Chad didn't like, I would be hearing about it. So the fact that Patty is leading this guy to like settle here so we can do this and this and this makes me feel like the guy was not the sharpest tool. She was definitely the one in charge in the relationship. Which is not a bad thing as long as you're not evil. Right. Well, she was evil. The other reason that they chose this site, and this is according to the Morning News out of Wilmington, Delaware, 1881, the site was wooded and there were islands in the river that afforded a means for escape and concealment. And it was here in this location that Patty would establish a tavern and that area would become the hub of her crime ring. Oh, man. Now, her husband, Jesse Cannon, would end up passing away in 1826. And it is suggested by some sources that Patty poisoned him. A hundred percent she did. Thoughts? I think I think she did. Hang in there, guys. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. We are so excited to unveil the first book in our series entitled Common Mystics Present Ghost on the Road, Volume 1, Murders and Mysterious Deaths. It's everything you love about Common Mystics and more. It's a retelling of 10 of our favorite stories from our pod with exciting extras. Extras like souvenirs, what we took away from the experience, and what to know if you go if you decide to travel in our footsteps. Pre-order the Kindle edition now. All other formats of the book will be available for purchase at Amazon.com on July 1st, 2023. Thanks, guys. Now back to the show. Now, Jesse and Patty had at least one daughter. Mazel tov. And this daughter married two different men. She had two different husbands, and both of them were known to have engaged in acts of slave stealing and kidnapping. Okay, so the first husband, he was a bad... Did he die? Her first husband was arrested in 1811 for kidnapping. He was eventually sentenced to death for murder and hanged. Okay, so that mm-hmm. that's her first. Her second husband was Joe Johnson, a notorious felon who had been known to take part in various unlawful activities. And he owned another tavern not far from the Cannon House. Johnson had an extensive criminal history that included robbery, burglary, and fraud, and he would become Patty Cannon's most notorious partner in crime. So it seems like they were making some alliances the same way like royalty would, like marry this for that, and that's what they were doing in a very low-class, evil way. It really does seem that way. Tell me about what became to be known as the Cannon-Johnson gang. So Patty Cannon was one of the leaders of the Cannon-Johnson gang that, again, operated right at the border of Maryland and Delaware. And it included Patty, of course, along with her son-in-law, Joe Johnson, his father, and his brother, Ebenezer, and many others that would be part of this gang. And she was the head of it. She was the head of it. Okay. She was like the mastermind, yes. And did people know that, like, the woman was heading this, like, diabolical gang? Well, what's interesting is she would dress like a man, and she had that strong, muscular physique. So it's very, it's quite possible that she was in disguise for many of these activities. Wow. Mm-hmm. They were known for smuggling stolen goods, extortion, and murder, and they did run a chain of brothels throughout Maryland and Delaware. It seems like good, like, mafia-type crime if we just ended it there. You know what I mean? If she was just smuggling stolen goods, extortion. I said murder. Oh. Okay, never mind. I was like, well, then I I feel like, come to Chicago. You'll be welcome. Well, they (laughs) probably would be welcome in Chicago. That's true. Mm -hmm. They stole horses, and they were suspected of counterfeiting as well. Mm. But their most lucrative activities involved human trafficking. And like I said, the stage was set. The gang specifically targeted free black people from Maryland, Delaware, Philadelphia, and New Jersey to be sold south against their will. And they started operating in 1811. Mm, God. So Patty herself was a slave owner. 
Yeah, that checks out. And she had at least one enslaved woman and one enslaved boy in her household. And the boy, his name was Cyrus James. She actually raised him from childhood. He was part of her actual household. And he would end up growing up and participating in her crimes and serving wow. yeah, and serving as a decoy to make the free black people feel safe interacting with him and working with him so that they could more easily be nabbed by the kidnappers. This woman is godless, like legit diabolical godless. Wow. Can you imagine being him, being Cyrus? I can't imagine what goes on in a person's head for the self-licensing to be like, I'm going to raise this child to be my decoy. Yeah. Terrible. I don't even understand it. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to identify with her anymore. I wish you were short and thin and petite. Her location was right by the river. And one method they used was to lure unsuspecting black people aboard their boat with the promise of work. And then the gang would kidnap the victim, take them away. And then if they had any land or possessions, they would often steal that as well. And make it look like they left on their own accord. Those who were kidnapped were sometimes forcibly taken to Patty Cannon's home. And there they were hidden in various locations around her house, including her basement, her attic, and other secret rooms. After being tied up and kept hidden away in her home, they were transported to a place called Cannon's Ferry in covered wagons before being put on a boat to be sent down the Nanticoke River towards the Chesapeake Bay. And from there, they were sent to the major slave markets in Georgia, Alabama, and even as far away as Mississippi. And Cannon's (sighs) Ferry would become the hub of the domestic slave trade in Maryland for over 50 years. The elephant in the room for me is this place is Cannon's Ferry back then because of her. That's where her lodgings were. That's where her tavern was. Okay. And it became a hub. So this was like a big deal. Yes. Because obviously she wasn't the only person doing this, right? Yeah. She's the broker. Not only did she have people going and capturing people and keeping them, but she was also probably a safe place for others that paid her to keep and transport the own people that they kidnapped. So yeah, she was a broker. She She was a hub. She's disgusting. It's diabolical and really opportunistic and exploitive of so many different crimes against humanity. So I want you to ask me how she was able to get away with this. I'm gonna. Okay. I'm gonna, Jennifer. How? <laughs> you do how? it. <laughs> Why didn't anyone step in? Why didn't the local authorities or the municipalities or anyone say, hey, this bitch is fucked in her head. Check in her basement. Why? Like, Why? According to sources, local law enforcement officials were reluctant to take action because of the gang's reputation for violence. So because they knew that these were murderous badasses, they were reluctant to confront them. And also, Patty was hard to catch because she had a network of associates that included prominent families in the area. Oh, man. And that lent her another layer of protection from the law. Um, Remember, she would just hop the state line or hop the county line. So if one county authority was coming to her, she would just hop the boundary to evade them. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Does she ever have a comeuppance or had an answer for this atrocity? Let me tell you what happened. In the 1820s, authorities started catching up with the Cannon Johnson gang. Okay. 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 I'm I'm here for it. Good. Tell me everything. All this right. is good. Okay. In 1822, Joe Johnson was sentenced to the pillory and 39 lashes. Not enough. Not enough. But go on. What ultimately happened to him? Uh, we're not sure. But sources say that he left town after that and started a brand new life in Alabama. Okay, so that sucks. That's not really That's not a really whole justice, lot is it? Of punishment. No, no not at all. He's just in the pillory? Yeah. Like you do that for fun. You take pictures like you go to, you know, old West Yeah, Johnson. not the lashes and only 39 lashes? Yeah, no, that's not okay. That's not justice. Then in the mid 1820s, some of the local politicians started to organize. 
Finally. Mm -hmm. The mayor of Philadelphia and the governor of Pennsylvania began collaborating to retrieve kidnapped young black people from Mississippi and to prosecute the Cannon Johnson gang for their kidnapping crimes. Oh, that makes me so happy. A little late, but better than never. Thank you, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia. Yay, yay, yay. It's the Quakers. God love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay. I know. But... What happened to Patty Cannon herself? Because someone needs to catch up with her. They do. Patty Cannon had this huge property and there was a tenant farmer that was on her property and she had this pile of rubbish and the farmer brought it to her attention. First of all, I live in the country. Plenty of my neighbors have a pile of rubbish. I I feel that. I feel it. I feel where you're going with this. Yeah, because he wanted to do something. Something with this property. We all do. We're like, you need to get rid of your rubbish, Exactly. Man. So clean this up. And she said, leave it there. Don't worry about it. It's not bothering anybody. He didn't listen. So he cleaned up the rubbish and he started to plow over it. And when he did, his horse stepped in a hole that turned out to be a grave. You are making me so suspicious of my neighbors. I'm just <laughs> saying right now. <laughs> like for real. The tenant farmer alerted the authorities and they found the remains of four African-Americans buried in that grave. And Patty Cannon was finally apprehended. In April of that year, 1829, a grand jury indicted Patty on four counts of murder. Among those buried on her farm were an infant female, a male child, an adult male, and a boy, all of whom had been killed on different occasions ranging from April 1820 to June of 1824. Oh my gosh. Can I just say, good detective work in the 1800s to figure all that kind of information out that they're African American and when they died? True, although they don't have names, so we'll never know the names of these people. And these are the only four that we found. These are the only four. I feel like there's so many others. Whatever happened to Cyrus James? Cyrus James, the boy who had grown up in her household and participated in her crimes. He testified against Patty Cannon. But Patty Cannon, during her trial, confessed to over 20 murders of black kidnapping victims. Wow. You're like the devil himself. Wow. That is so distasteful to me because at this point, she already knows she's going down and now she wants to hurt people more with like those kind of words. I agree. Like, I've killed 20 other people that you're never going to get back. But I believe that she really killed them. I don't think she was just saying that. I really think that she she killed a lot of people. And more details came out. The Monitor Press in an 1887 article revealed the following. And this is a quote. Is this a trigger? Is this a trigger? Am I going to be upset by this? Well, yeah, probably. Okay, so just know that hold on to your seats. This sucks. The article said... Those of her captives that could not be profitably disposed of were roasted alive, and those who stood in the way of her plans were ruthlessly murdered. Many peddlers who in those days were wont to travel through that section and vend their wares to the country people are said to have met with a bloody death at her hands when she would possess herself of their money and other valuables and bury their bodies in the vaults of a cellar underlying her dwelling." Unsuspecting travelers asking shelter for the night, unconscious of the danger, were murdered in their beds, and even the bloodstains upon the floors of the building still bear witness of her crimes. Again, this was from 1887. Wow. So she wasn't just killing for profit. I mean, she was killing indiscriminately if someone had money. According to this article, yes. This article is pretty late, though, just saying. Exactly. This article is late. And it's also after there are two novels written after her death in the 1800s. And both of them were not really solid on the facts. So over the years, it's become hard to separate legend from fact. Tell me what happened to Patty after she flexed on the sand and she's like, no, I'm a bigger piece of shit than you thought I was. (laughs) So tell me what happened to her after that. Patty Cannon died in prison while awaiting trial in 1829. Some some sources believe that she committed suicide by taking poison. Of course she did. A hundred percent she did. She's a coward. Now, other people claim she passed away from natural causes and nobody knows how old she was, but it was somewhere between 60 and 70 years old at the time of her death. 
Patty Cannon's body was originally buried in the graveyard of the jail in Georgetown, Delaware. However, before that land was developed as a parking lot in the 20th century, her remains were exhumed and reburied with two other women's in a potter's field near the Georgetown jail. Hmm. And when her body was in transport, you're going to like this. Hmm. When her body was in transport, there was an employee at the courthouse who decided to take her skull home and hang it on the wall with a nail. Fucking wow. What is wrong with people? Wow. Over time, Patty Cannon's skull has been displayed in various venues, even the Dover Public Library at Halloween time. Okay. There's a line. Dover, you crossed it. That is not okay. The implications of that is crazy. Like, if I were going to write a horror movie, that's where I would start. I don't I don't know if we know where her skull is today. There's a picture of her skull online, but I it's don't know. Probably, I think it's in some official, official sort of Why, state. though? <laughs> why are we, why? This, this is a crazy-ass broad who killed people. Why are we having, like, oh, this is her skull? Like, I don't need that. If it were her brain and we were studying for science to see, like, why she was a crazy bitch, then I would be like, okay. The study of phrenology studies bumps on the skull. And I think I'm serious. And I did That's read a soft science. I did read during this research that that was at least one of the reasons why the skull was stolen to be studied by people who were phrenologists. I swear to God, if that were really, really what was going to happen, it wouldn't be hung on someone's wall. That's true. Bad on you, Dover. You're fucking weird. <laughs> That's not all of you in the town are weird, but that was a strange decision. Your husband's a librarian. What if he came home and was like, guess what I did today at work? We put out the skull. skull. I would be like, "Um, hey, brother, no. (laughs) Okay, now stop a second because I want to ask you something. Now that her skull is hanging somewhere (laughs) and apparently she was a big deal because people were stealing her body. What happened to her? Where does her legend come from? Tell me where she was in pop culture, notoriety after that. She's all over the papers in 1829 and afterwards. At the time of her death, it was believed that Patty Cannon had been a major player in the illicit slave trade that operated between Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia. Like she was the kingpin. And it was suddenly all over the papers. Should we talk? Should we switch gears and talk about the voiceless? Because I think we we need to talk about the voiceless here. Who, Who wanted us to talk about Patty and why? Our voiceless, there are so many. I know. The, the sad part about this, it doesn't even give me a gratifying expression to be like, and here's our voiceless, because our voiceless are literally nameless people that died at this woman's hand. And the majority of them were black, African American people that were already having a tough time. They didn't need all that. I mean, and I'm just saying that lightly, as lightly as I can possibly say that this is a horrendous event. Like, wow. Yeah. What else angers you? Well, in 1887, the mm-hmm. Monitor Press out of mm-hmm. Kansas was mm-hmm. was writing a whole lot about Patty Cannon because... Why? Well, because of the Bender family that we actually discussed in Season 2, Episode 11. Remind us who the Benders were, Jill. Jesus, you guys. <laughs> the most fucked up people you can ever imagine to come to your town, right? It's like these people... Family there was they, well, they say that they were a family. I, psychically, I believe they weren't. But it was like a man and a woman and a younger woman and a son. The boy's really friggin' weird. The girl is like over-sexualized and like taunting people to come to their tavern. What did they do? So they can... I'm getting there. <laughs> so they could kill them while they ate their dinner before they were, quote unquote, going to go to sleep. They were bashing people over the heads and then they were burying them. And these people were lured from a well traveled route that led why are you holding your head that led people through the area that's what happened that's what they were comparing Patty Cannon to and you know what there are some legit similarities like they were both a ring of organized crime they both had inns and taverns okay stop they both murdered and robbed people stop stop it but there really isn't a whole bunch of comparisons like this woman Patty was going out she surveyed an area she stuck a claim in the ground to capture to kidnap people all over the area and to provide safe haven for other captures to move free people into the south into bondage and get paid high money for it and if she couldn't get paid high money for them she would indiscriminately 
kill them. Not to mention if someone just happened to be by her place, she would kill them anyway if they had money on them. Like she is like the vendors, they're messed up in the head. I'm not a vendor fan, but Patty is completely different. And the elephant in the room is she's targeting black people, Jennifer. Like she's going out and hunting black people. Yeah, I agree with you. So no, no monitor press Get your head out of your ass. That's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Patty Cannon's crimes were racially charged in the worst possible way. Like you said, she was literally hunting people of color to sell them into bondage and murdering them in cold blood when she couldn't sell them. So I think the voiceless are angry because of this comparison. Like, this is not the same. How dare you say that the benders who were fucked in the head, but who were, they were indiscriminately killing anybody who was stopping mm-hmm. for the night. Mm-hmm. They weren't targeting who were people of color. stopping for the night. Exactly. Yes. They were opportunists. Yes. Not hunters. Exactly. No, I'm I'm with you. When you were researching this story, you told me that that thought kept you up at night. It did keep me up at night. Because why? Because in the papers in Delaware, they're making reference to the benders and saying, but we had Patty Cannon in the 1820s. It happened here first. Wow. In talking about it, it's insulting in so many ways. One being, let's not brag that this happened. And two, let's not compare the two situations. Because like we just said, they're not the same. And you are ignoring the explicit racial crimes. How can you ignore that? I don't understand. And that's why it kept me up. And I think that's part of this problem. Okay, is there anything else that you read in the papers that, like, would not let you go to sleep at night? Jill, yes. Okay. Okay. This is from the Morning News out of Wilmington, Delaware, 1881. And it describes the last crime that Patty and her gang committed involved a rich Southern trader, i.e. slave trader, named Ridgely. And that Patty herself lured this rich trader to Delaware, promising to sell him people that she was holding captive. But instead of greeting him and completing the sales transaction, she led five of her gang members to the road where she knew he'd be coming. They chopped down a big tree to block his path. And then when his carriage slowed down and came to a stop, he was shot and murdered. It was then, says this article, it was then that the, quote, tide of adversity set in amongst the community. You see, before this happened, the community members turned a blind eye because she had always been, quote, generous with her bounty towards the community as long as she was kidnapping and murdering black people. But once, once her gang targeted a white man, that's when her neighbors, quote, rose up in mass, apprehended her and delivered her to the Delaware law enforcement. So it wasn't because four bodies of African-Americans were found on her property. It was the murder of a white man. And that is why her community turned her in. The other thing that this that this shows, and this is really, this is upsetting and disturbing, is that the community supported this by doing nothing, by turning a blind eye, by taking the bribes. The community supported this. Mm-hmm. And it was when the community rose up that it stopped. So why didn't this community turn her in earlier? I don't know. It's it, and, and that is relevant today. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, absolutely. Because I was thinking today, it's it makes me think of what am I not, what am I turning a blind eye to? Because it's not my problem. Yes. And I do that all the time. I do it all and the time. You are not, you are not a political person I at am all. Not, you no. have no, I, there's got, like, I had to explain things to Jennifer this morning about life and like, like, it's, it's true. Just, it was a hard yeah. talk. It was a hard talk. It was a hard talk. I had to sit her down, folks. She got to talking to, but. No, I agree with you 100%. I want you to transition us into our hits because I can't sit in this energy anymore. Transition me, transition well, me. Well, I me was going to say, do you want to hear some bullshit? Today, 2023. Like today. Today. Okay. There is a subdivision which is located in Delaware where Patty used to operate that is named the Patty Cannon Estates. 
Um, I have a whole rant that just like <laughs> auto-populated in my head. Hold on to that. We'll talk about it in the detour. So, folks, check us out there. We have so much to say about this subdivision called the Patty Cannon Estates. People live there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's our first hit because I hate the subdivisions exactly. of Delaware. Yes. They were haunting us. We hated them. What else did we feel? We were getting serious underground railroad vibes in Delaware. I think the underground railroad feeling was a springboard to us getting, wait, was Delaware a part of the southern states? It was kind of like, wait, what? And we couldn't get straight answers. Right. But also the fact that this story is specifically talking about the reverse of it, I think is also mm-hmm. significant. You know what else I think is really intriguing and layered as a metaphor is the old Ashbury Church. Tell me why. Because when we went to the church cemetery grounds, it was just a sign and there was nothing there. And it felt like the bodies were gone and you were picking up then on oh kidnapping, but... The fact that there are no names. There are no names. There are no names. They're nameless. And the African-Americans that were murdered, that were victimized in so many different ways by Patty Cannon and her gang, they are largely nameless, especially those who were murdered. Yeah, it just hurts my heart. Especially because Patty Cannon's name is still out there. It's on a freaking sign to a subdivision. What about the name Ferry? What's that all about? Why was that coming up? Jill, Cannon's Ferry. That was the hub of the slave trade in the area. Oh my God. I'm just going to say this, and I'm just standing by it. A lot of what's happening in today in America, the vitriol is social angst. There's a lot of social vitriol. There's so much social angst. Today. And the fact that when I listen to this story, it reminds me that what I turn a blind eye to, even if I'm not involved in, I'm still impacting in a way. That's my biggest personal lesson here. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's everyone's personal lesson, but that's no, no, what no. I got from that, that. Oh, my, me too. Because I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not political. I feel like it's another job to be informed these days because there's so much misinformation out there. And to mm-hmm. dig for the truth, it takes so much effort. That's exhausting. I don't have time for it. So I turn it off. But while I turn it off by not being involved, I'm condoning some of the things that socially, politically... I don't condone, but because I'm not getting involved, I'm turning a blind eye and, in effect, giving liberty. But the elephant in the room is that racism in America is still a huge thing, whether or not we want to look at it. It's here, and we can have discussions of how it manifests, but it's still here. Agreed. Agreed. I want to say one more thing, though. I want to understand Every name of everything that is named after, like the street in front of my house is Laura Bell. Like, I want to know that name now because it chills me to think that someone is living in the Patty Cannon's estate subdivision. Mm-hmm. That's insane to me. All right. More on that at Detours. Jill, tell Jennifer. the people. Yes. I was just going to say, I want to tell the people where they can find us. Oh, please do it. Okay. Check out our website, commonmystics.net. Find us on all the socials at Common Mystics Pod. Check us out wherever you're listening to your favorite podcast. And leave us a positive review wherever you're listening. Thank you for hanging in with us. This was a hard story. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. You have a good evening. Thank you. Good night. Bye.